Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The reckless driving in this city has got to an untenable level. It's crazy. I mean, they're just nuts. Wow, there are some red light runners. This ain't no racing track. This is a street. It's frightening to be on our streets right now. I can guarantee you, your viewers are irritated because I'm irritated. Some of the conduct that we see out there is brazen. I'd like to see a lot of change on reckless drivers. Make people know that you're going to be accountable for your actions. It's something that we're going to make a fervent effort to address this moving forward. We have to be creative. It will be a challenge. Between the COVID-19 pandemic, protests over police use of force, and a spike in Milwaukee homicides, it's easy to forget one of the most vexing issues still facing Milwaukee, reckless driving. And a Fox 6 investigation finds the deadly toll it's taking is only getting worse. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda. Hey, Brian. We are recording on Thursday, September 17th. Milwaukee police say this is the third day of their renewed effort to target reckless driving in the city with extra traffic patrols. But the announcement of that initiative did not come until the day before our investigation of reckless driving. And four days after, Brian, you sat down with acting police chief Michael Brunson to talk about the problem. So before we get into that, let's start with how we got to this place because reckless driving is not a new issue in the city of Milwaukee. No, it's it's been a concern now for a number of years. And when I interviewed Chief Brunson, he's been on the force for 25 years. He said it's been about the last five years that it's gotten this bad, where it's, it's uh, beyond just people who are speeding or maybe losing control of their vehicles. It is people who are intentionally flouting the law, driving aggressively, and uh, doing so in many cases with impunity, no fear that they're going to be uh, held accountable or, or have any real consequences. And so, so the last four or five years, we've heard from time to time, and you saw in the story that we aired uh, on Fox 6 last night, that there have been leaders holding news conferences time and time again, declaring and proclaiming that something needs to be done. We actually had, uh, I, I really enjoyed this moment of the story. There was a back-to-back soundbite from Mayor Barrett and from Alderman Bob Donovan, both using the exact same phrase, this is a call to action. Those were sound bites from two different stories, but they are moments of, and some people would call it, I don't, this is a loaded term, so I don't mean to, to put this on the individuals who've said it, but some would call that grandstanding. There's sort of a, I'm gonna say a really strong thing that we need to do something, but the question is, is there action that comes behind it? And that's really one of the things we set out to look at here is, there's been an awful lot of talk about reckless driving. It's no secret anymore this is a big problem in Milwaukee. The question is, 
what's actually being done to try to mitigate this. And obviously in the year 2020, there are so many priorities of things that are going on. We wondered if maybe it's almost been sort of left to the side. So when you started digging into this, where did you start? Because this is a big topic. It can be a broad topic. And I'd imagine it can be difficult to sort through, you know, all the, all the weeds and, and the obstacles to answers here. Well, and I know the way this podcast is structured, you're going to ask me a lot of questions because we've taught, you know, we've sort of done it that way where you're interviewing me almost. But Amanda, you were there with me. We sat down with our news director, with our special projects, executive producer, um, with, with producer Pete and, and others. And we talked earlier this year before the pandemic really struck. We sat down and said, we know reckless driving is a big deal. The task force that we're going to talk about in a minute was already in place and was, in fact, well into its work. And we decided that in 2020, reckless driving was going to be an issue we were going to really try to tackle. And we had brainstorming sessions. How do we approach this? And one of the things that was clear at the time was, this is a big issue. There's a lot of ways this could go. So how do you focus your efforts on an issue this big? And and so we really kind of talked about various ideas and approaches and then you and I, and then a couple of our photographers, Andy Conkle and Jerry Inig, went to the last meeting of the task force on reckless driving, which was, I think, February, late February, maybe the yeah, 27th. It was right before COVID hit. And we we sat we we came out of it with all these ideas and all this energy. We're going to dive right into this. And within a couple of weeks, it was COVID-19 and things were shutting down. And this podcast went from one day a week to five days a week. Now we're back to two. Um, everything changed. So we were distracted from this issue. And obviously you can imagine the people involved with uh, tackling the problem, whether that's from a, a law enforcement perspective, from uh, city leaders, community leaders, obviously they were distracted too because so many, so many other things have happened. But but your, your ultimate question was, how did we approach this? After having all those brainstorming sessions, um, a, as we got six months into this whole thing, we realized it's time to get back to this. We need to look at reckless driving again. And one of the very first things I did was to get together with producer Pete and uh, photographer Jerry Immig, and uh, we equipped a car with a couple of cameras, a GoPro and uh, like a consumer-grade video camera, hooked them up to the windows with suction cups, set them up, and drove. And we drove into areas that we knew were high crash areas, issue that had issues with reckless driving and just drove around for hours. Um, and I had someone ask me, it was Carl Deffenbaugh, uh, reporter Carl Deffenbaugh asked me last night, um, how did you get that video? Like, how long did it take? That was the question. And here's the thing. If you watch the story and you see how many examples we had of just crazy driving, people blowing red lights, passing on the right, passing in front of people at stoplights, turning left, it was, it was nuts. Um, it only took about three hours one day and three hours another day to get most of that video. It, uh, if you listen to the raw video of me driving around, there are a couple of times where I say to myself, this is fish in a barrel. There was so much of it, and it was just outrageous driving. Besides the examples of reckless driving, which are powerful when you see them, because it, it's something that anyone who's driven through the city has experienced, but when you see them back to back like that, there's something powerful of that. But this is an issue that's also difficult to measure. I, I remember us talking about that at the beginning. And so there's, you know, a statutory definition of reckless driving, but then it can fall into a whole bunch of other categories 
people have different definitions. So how did you pinpoint where the problem areas are, given that the definition of reckless driving can be really fluid? Well, and, and that's I want to start with that definition because that's a great question. If you look at the statutory definition of reckless driving in Wisconsin, it's very broad. It's essentially the negligent operation of a vehicle that endangers the safety of others. Well, that could be a lot of things. That could be just distracted driving, looking at your cell phone. That could be speeding 10 miles an hour over the speed limit. That could be an awful lot of things. But when I asked Chief Brunson about this, and we talked to a number of different people who were participants in the task force, people who were there as members of the public speaking to the task force, and asked them, you know, what, what's your definition? And they would say things like, it's, it's speeding, it's weaving in and out of traffic, it's passing on the right, it's, you know, driving into the bike lane to pass people, it's not using your turn signal. But what Chief Brunson said is, to him, it's a combination of those things. When you have someone who's doing multiple things like speeding, weaving in and out of traffic, uh, and not just speeding a little bit, but extreme speeding, 25 miles an hour over the speed limit or more is a definition that he used. Um, that's where you start to see it go from just maybe not the best or safest driving to flat out reckless driving. And I think it, it, Michael Murphy, an alderman who was one of the co-chairs of the task force, um, he said it, I think, best, which was, you know it when you see it. And when you drive around the streets uh, that, that we were on, I'll talk about how we chose where in just a moment, but when you do, you can tell the difference between someone who's maybe not paying very close attention or might have made a mistake. Some, you know, I, We've all maybe at one time in our lives blown a stop sign or run a red light by mistake. It's careless, and you might call that reckless, but what we were seeing and what's clear is seeing people who appear to be doing things with intent. They're blowing a red light because they can and because they don't seem to care. Um, and Or they're passing dangerously on the right side through a shoulder right next to parked cars and pedestrians because they're just being impatient. And so that was, to me, the definition part was looking for the really aggressive driving. But measuring that is hard because uh, if, if the def statutory definition is one thing, there's only so many tickets that are written. So one of the first things I had to do is we had to find data. And we looked at a lot of data. Um, but if I just looked at reckless driving tickets, there aren't that many that police write because they tend to write the tickets for the other moving violations that fall under this umbrella. Right. It so if you blow speeding. a red light, you may not necessarily get cited for reckless driving, even though that's considered reckless driving, right? Right. You you get you get cited for failing to observe a traffic signal or failing to observe a traffic sign or a traffic officer, um, or you get, you know, illegal lane deviation or all sorts of things. So all of these things in concert could be reckless driving. So what we decided to do was, well, let's look at the results of reckless driving, which are crashes, and particularly crashes that injure or kill people. And remember, 2020 has had a period of time, particularly in March and April, where overall traffic was down because there was a safer at home order telling people to stay at your house and don't go anywhere. Don't go to work. People stopped commuting to work as often. People lost their jobs. So you would expect if there's less driving, there are going to be fewer crashes, fewer injuries, fewer deaths. We looked at a number of data sets from the state, from local police, from a variety of areas, um, calls for service from MPD. Bottom line, what we found is this. There has been a drop in crashes in Milwaukee this year. 
uh, about a 17% drop so far. And most of that was attributed to those months of April uh, or March and April. There's been a slight drop in injury accidents. Again, would be expected when there's been a decrease in driving. But the really alarming thing is there's been a significant increase in deaths, traffic deaths in the city of Milwaukee. So even though fewer people are driving and in fact fewer people are crashing, the crashes that are happening are more severe and they're causing more people to be killed. And so we went from something like 36 traffic deaths in Milwaukee last year uh, through I think the I think it was through September 14th last year to 51 through September 15th of or September 14th of this year. A 50% increase from 2019 to 2020. That's a big deal. And in looking at maps of where these crashes were taking place, we found many of them are happening at some of the same intersections over and over again. And the one we zeroed in on our story happened to be 27th and center where Fond du Lac crosses through as a diagonal. So it's kind of a six way stop there. And uh, a lot of traffic comes through and it comes through very quickly and a lot of people blowing red lights. And um, it just, you know, I, I drove through that intersection must have been 50 times in two days. And uh, I, I was concerned for my safety at times. It, it's uh, the driving there is, is aggressive. So you were able to zero in on one particular intersection. Is that something that's gotten the attention of city leaders and the people who are basically in charge of trying to fix this issue? Well, and here's the challenge, because for the sake of a story, I wanted one intersection to focus on. But I'll be honest, while we picked that one, it wasn't the only one. In fact, it was far from the only one that had a concentration of accidents. If you look at the map that we put in our story of injury accidents, they're all over the city. There aren't just a couple of hot spots. It is what police say they want to focus on is high crash areas. Chief Brunson said in our interview that since the ACLU essentially smacked police down and said you can't do all these stop and frisks. Well, it, in the past, they were part of a strategy to target high crime areas. Stop and frisks were only a part of that. Traffic patrols were a part of that. Target high crime areas. Well, there's a concern that by targeting high crime areas, you may be disproportionately stopping people of color. You may be disproportionately stopping people in certain neighborhoods. So they now say they will instead focus on high crash areas. But again, in looking at the data, to me, there are so many high crash areas. If you have a, a general behavior that's taking place around the city, it's going to be hard to stop that by targeting just a few intersections. But that is at least how police say they want to start this out is focus on some of those higher crash areas. And maybe that visibility starts to make a difference. We'll have to wait and see. Well, and the traffic deaths are disproportionately affecting black people in Milwaukee, right? Absolutely. That's one of the findings that we had is that it wasn't just ours. In fact, before we started working on this, Wisconsin Policy Forum last year, uh, which does a lot of research on issues that face Milwaukee um, and data-driven research, they looked at traffic deaths in Wisconsin and particularly in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, and one of the, the findings that stood out, and it wasn't what they started looking into, but it became the headline of their report was that while traffic deaths are declining all across the state of Wisconsin and have been for many years, the one category of one demographic where traffic deaths are going way up is among black Wisconsinites. And that is almost exclusively because of the dramatic increase in the city of Milwaukee, where a substantial number of traffic deaths tend because the population is largely people of color tends to affect people of color. So you have uh, 
traffic deaths statewide and, and for Hispanic drivers and, and, and passengers, for white drivers and passengers, declining year after year after year. But we're seeing this spike in deaths among people of color. So while it may well be that the enforcement uh, has been targeted in certain areas that, that affect uh, potentially drivers of color, it's also where the crashes are happening, and that's who's getting injured and killed. And as you might have seen in our story, we interviewed three moms who've lost children to reckless drivers. In a lot of cases, and the mayor talked about this, in a lot of cases, the people who die are the drivers themselves. They're driving crazy, they crash into a tree. And one of the messages, if, if they could drive home to young people or to people who engage in that kind of behavior, that the threat is real, you can die doing this, this is not a video game where you get another life, um, that would be one thing. But it goes beyond these drivers killing themselves. There are innocent victims, and those three moms, I mean, I, I could only use a snippet of, of, of what they said in the story, but I talked to them at length uh, by Zoom, and, uh, you know, they're struggling. I mean, one of them had a daughter who was about to head off to college. And she said something, I could, didn't put this in the story, because it was a fairly long soundbite, but it really resonated with me as a father. And, and it, it's funny how the regrets we have when someone's gone. And she was talking about how her daughter wanted a stainless steel trash can for her dorm room. And her mom said, you don't need stainless steel. It's too expensive. Buy it yourself. I'm getting you the black one. And she bought her the black garbage can. And she just in this interview about reckless driving had a moment where she said, I wish I bought the stainless steel one. I wish she doesn't have that chance now. I mean, she think about that was the priority. And that really stuck out because she's hurting. And so there's a real impact from this. And I think that's I don't know that in a, in a even a five-minute story you can drive that home, but that's the message that these mothers wanted to get across is there's loss here, and if someone doesn't do something about it, more people like her are going to go through this. Well, and that brings us to what can be done and, and what is being done to fix this issue. So when a task force was announced in Milwaukee to look at the issue of reckless driving, I, I don't know how many people at this point are going, oh good, a task force, that will solve all of our problems. So I, I don't really know what the expectations were of this task force. But one of the things you did in this story was look at the findings of the task force. And what strikes me is that one of, one of their goals in what they publish in their findings is, well, we need to find the root causes of reckless driving. And it made me wonder, well, how can you issue any recommendations about how to fix this issue if we don't know what causes it in the first place? Yeah, that's it's an interesting point because if you go to the very first meeting of the task force, uh, one of the public members of the panel, uh, Nicole Young-Todd, spoke up and said, you know, they, they were each asked, what do you think the goals of this task force should be? And her comment was, I think we should get to the root causes of these behaviors. Um, so if, in fact, that was one of the goals of the task force to get to the root causes, in the end, one of their recommendations is, well, somebody should figure out the root cause of this. In other words, they didn't answer the question. And that if root causes is what's behind all of it, you're right, we don't know what's causing this. Now, there are theories. There are a lot of people with theories on what, what may be causing it or what may be leading to it. Um, but there's no real definitive answer, and there's not even really an attempt in that final report to get to that. So we've got a long list of recommendations. And, and it's there were one of the things the mayor said in my interview with him about this, that his goal in creating the task force, uh, he and the Common Council created it jointly, but his goal in creating it was to hear what the public had to say. So that's a little different than getting to the root cause. He says he just wanted to hear what the public had to say. And they did hold listening sessions. And you can 
almost tell that the end result of the task force, the long list of recommendations, was sort of a laundry list of just a gathering of ideas. It was, it was almost sort of like, here's what everyone said we should do, but, and, and they did narrow the scope. There, there was a longer list of things that were submitted by the public, and then they sort of narrowed it down, but it was narrowed down to what, 50 or more possible recommendations? I mean, if you go to, down to the bullet points, it's a large number of specific things they said could or should be done. But what I know you noticed, what I noticed and I mentioned in the story is there's no indication anywhere in the report what should be the priority. So they broke their recommendations down into three parts and they had three subcommittees that were listening to the public on this. And it was engineering solutions, education and public relations or public information and enforcement. So you look at engineering, it's doing things like adding curb bump outs to make it harder to pass at a stoplight or, or you know, go around people at a stoplight. It's narrowing lanes, moving bike lanes from uh, right next to the traffic lane to, um, to, to, you know, farther away, separated from traffic lanes. So there's less of a chance of bicyclists being, you know, injured or killed. So there's some engineering type solutions that just, if you have an infrastructure that is generally safer, it's harder to drive recklessly. The second one was education, more driver's ed, more public information campaigns. Um, there was, you know, the idea of just coming up with a slogan, uh, you know, click it or ticket. They said it's been so successful to get people to start increasing seatbelt use because we were reminded of click it or ticket, click it or ticket. They say we need something like that for reckless driving so that young people grow up with the idea that, oh yeah, this is an issue and I remember the slogan. And then uh, finally, enforcement. And what I found interesting is when I talked to the families who'd lost loved ones, they were the ones who really went right to enforcement. The mayor went first to engineering. The police chief went first to education. But the victims went to enforcement. They said, you've got to get tough on this. You can't keep letting people do this. And I was uh, listening, Amanda, I, this wasn't even in the story. I know I've talked to you about it. I was listening into a Facebook Live in uh, a neighborhood group in Milwaukee. Near Westside Partners is a neighborhood group, and they had a Facebook Live for their community members to talk about reckless driving. And uh, there was a gentleman named Damien uh, who's with a group called Safe and Sound. He had a young man on with him who is, in fact, a reckless driver, someone who'd been convicted of that, who'd spent some time in detention for that, um, and is now trying to turn his life around, clean things up, and help others. And he had him on to talk to this neighborhood group about his experiences. And really the question was, why? Why did you do it? Why do you think people your age drive this way? And his answer was, it's for the thrill. It's the thrill of, you know, youth and taking risks and driving crazy. And that's not new to this generation. Young people have taken risks for a long, long time. But he added that there's no fear of getting in trouble. You're going to be in DT and back out, he said they need to make the consequences more serious so that the young people know this is a really big deal. Um, and, and I thought that was interesting because some of the people on that call, there was an older woman, Shantia Lewis is one of the co-chairs of the task force who said, I lean more toward prevention. So that surprised me that you, one of the people who's done this says we need to get tougher. And I think that's really where, when you look at this breadth of these recommendations, one chunk of them is enforcement. But the people who were there, either the ones who are doing it or the ones who've lost people to it, that's where they first go is enforcement. Well, and you found that when it comes to enforcement, we've seen 
fewer tickets recently from Milwaukee police. Yeah, over the years, tickets have waned considerably. Uh, ten, and I looked at municipal court data for this, so I didn't break it down on the type of ticket written. And we just wanted to know what's the overall volume of of uh, cases being filed in Milwaukee municipal court. And in 2011, there were 97,000 traffic cases. It has just, you know, if you look at a, uh, I'm doing this with my hand on Zoom, no one can see this on the podcast, but if you just imagine sort of stair step going down over 10 years, it's gotten lower and lower. Now there was a spike, a brief spike back up in 2017 when Ed Flynn, then Milwaukee police chief, did institute a crackdown on reckless driving. And he made the announcement, we're going to be writing a lot of tickets. And they did for a period of time. They sort of had a blitz where they, they wrote a lot of tickets and got back up to, I think it was maybe 70 or 80,000 tickets in 2017. It's dropped off dramatically since then. And we are on pace this year for police to write fewer than 50,000. Um, so almost I cut in half. Almost cut in half. And I asked Chief Brunson about that. And he said it was a matter of strategy. I talked about that earlier, that they had they had targeted high crime areas in the past, and now they're targeting high crash areas instead. That was his explanation for it. But the one of the recommendations of the task force was for police to increase enforcement, to increase their pre- traffic presence. And that's a challenge right now, especially when you consider what's, what's been going on this year. People are calling for defunding police. Police have fewer officers than they've had in, in previous years. And now you have people coming in and saying, we need to cut your budget even further. And the mayor says that's probably going to happen, not necessarily because of people who want it to be done for reasons of social justice, but just because COVID-19 has killed the city budget. He says there's not money there. So yeah, there's probably going to be cuts. And it's difficult to imagine police increasing enforcement of reckless driving when they have all these other priorities too. Homicides are up. Obviously, there, there are issues of domestic violence. There's a lot of things going on, and then they're facing budget cuts. So that's where this comes down to the idea of priorities. If, if out of 50-something things, if increasing enforcement is a priority, then there's got to be money that comes from somewhere to do that. And, and Chief Brunson says they're going to try. They're going to be creative. They're going to use federal grants when they can to beef up enforcement. The question is, are they going to do that for a few weeks as window dressing to say, look, we're making an effort, but then don't really have the long-term funds to back that up? Or will they be able to find a way to increase the presence on the road and and do something about it? Well, and it's like the saying goes, if everything is a priority, then nothing is a priority, right? So at some point, I think it's easy for city leaders to say, well, all of these recommendations are important. We want to do all of them. That's and they fine. say exactly that, by the way. They say, yeah. you heard that. I mean, Michael Murphy said that to you, Mayor yeah. Barrett. Everyone said these are, they're all important ideas. Well, you can't do them all. You don't have the money so or the, or the manpower. So, right, what is the priority? And we didn't really hear that. So where do things go from here? We know we mentioned at the beginning of the episode that Milwaukee police, you know, after you sat down and talked to Chief Brunson, they rolled out, uh, you know, this this traffic enforcement effort. But beyond that, where do things go from here? That's a good question. I mean, one thing that I think is gratifying is that this is an issue that people are interested in. I mean, just in the promos that we're running for our story this week, the commercial promotions, uh, the response I've gotten through social media, through email, um, 
people are interested in this. We have plans to do more stories on this subject. Uh, everything from looking at the driver's education system, because one of the one of the things we heard over and over is driver's licenses don't mean a thing right now to a lot of people in, in Milwaukee. There are a lot of people driving without licenses who've never even had them and, and don't bother to get them. Or if they get them when they turn 18, they don't have to take a driver's education course at that point. So they've never been trained in the rules of the road. So we're gonna look at driver's education as one thing. Um, I think there's questions of enforcement. And, and in fairness to the police chief, there are things that are not in his hands because some of the enforcement ideas and recommendations involve things that would require a legislative change. Things like being able to impound a vehicle uh, of someone who was driving recklessly. And the chief says that raises that question of the definition because if the definition is so broad that almost anything is reckless driving, then what, do you impound every car you pull over? That doesn't make any sense. So how do you define what is the the, the limit for impounding a vehicle when that happens? Um, so there are a lot of questions. I mean, red light cameras were brought up. I think there's some real questions there because the legislature needs to approve of red light cameras first. But secondly, we saw a tremendous number of cars with no license plates. Well, red light cameras work by recording the license plate of the driver making the violation, and then you mail a ticket to the registered owner of the vehicle. Many of these vehicles don't even have plates, or if they do, they're stolen plates. So would that be very effective for the people who are flouting the law? There's a real good question about that. So there's still a lot of questions about what happens next, but the key is people are talking. We're going to be talking about it. Community members are talking about it. And so long as people keep talking about it, it remains a priority that's on the radar screen. It would be easy in 2020 to let this fall off the radar screen. But when you meet people like we did, like Lucretia Lewis, uh, like Carolyn Hall um, and, and others, it's, uh, it's easy to see how important this issue is and why we need to keep talking about it. Well, Brian, we're glad that you're not letting this issue go. We know we're going to see a lot more from you on this topic. And that's part of the reason we're going to continue bringing you these twice weekly episodes of Open Record as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic, reckless driving, unrest when it comes to policing, so much more. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email. Send your emails to fox6investigators at fox.com. Again, that's Fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. And thank you to the people who help us make this podcast possible. As always, producer Pete, Dave Machuda, who, by the way, did just an amazing job editing our reckless driving story for air. Suzanne Barthel, executive producer Sarah Smith. And of course, please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Polson, and we will be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Tuesday. Mm-hmm.